Jesus and Nicodemus met at night, and they were the only ones. John goes on in his gospel to explain many things about what Jesus did and what he said and what he taught. But Nicodemus we don't hear so much about after this event. In fact, John, who's the only gospel writer to mention Nicodemus, only tells us about one other sentence that Nicodemus spoke. But based on what we learn here in John 3, verses 1 through 17, I've wondered what Nicodemus might say if he were to speak to us and tell us about his experience meeting Jesus that night. And I suspect from what we're told that what he would say might sound something like this. Well, I guess I'm a little bit embarrassed that this seems to be the event that everybody wants to know about and everybody wants to talk about. People don't seem to want to talk about the time that I stood up in the Sanhedrin, in the Jewish ruling council, and insisted that we couldn't condemn somebody without a trial. That seems like a positive thing to say, an important point to make, but people don't tend to give me a lot of credit for that. Maybe a little more credit comes because people do remember, at least from time to time, that I was there when Jesus was buried. I helped out with that process. And I know we were in a hurry. The Sabbath was coming on quickly. We maybe didn't have as many spices as other people would have wanted, but we were trying to do our best and take care of Jesus' body in that special way. But people rarely ask me about that event. No, it seems what people most want to know about is this occasion recorded in John chapter 3 where Jesus and I spoke at night. And that seems to be the first question that they want to ask is, why at night? Were you afraid, Nicodemus? Were you worried about what other people would think if they saw you going to Jesus? Were you concerned about what the other members of that ruling council might think of you or might do to you? And sure, I guess I have to admit, uh, those things probably played a part in my decision-making. After all, I'm a, I'm a human being, and you know we sometimes make decisions out of, out of fear rather than just doing the thing that we think is right or proper. On the other hand, I'm, I'm glad that it happened the way that it did, because my going to Jesus at night meant we weren't interrupted by the crowds. There weren't all sorts of other distractions. Jesus and I could have a conversation, and he answered my questions. And I'm sure glad that I had that opportunity. I had been curious about Jesus. The word was out that Jesus was going around doing miracles, and I was pretty sure you couldn't do miracles without somehow being connected to God. I said as much when I met Jesus, and I kind of expected that Jesus would tell me more about his relationship with God. 
would maybe tell me more about the miracles that he was doing, but Jesus surprised me because the direction that he went right away was he said, you have to be born from above. You have to be born from... And anyone who wants to see the kingdom of God has to be born from above. That sounded strange to me. Maybe it sounds a little strange to you. I understand that some of your English translations say you must be born again, and that's not a bad translation. In fact, the Greek there could mean either of these things, be born again or be born from above, and maybe Jesus meant both. He certainly meant something that I did not understand. I knew, or at least I thought I knew, that he couldn't possibly mean you have to go back in your mother's womb and be born a second time. That's impossible, especially if you're any older than a, than a tiny infant. I knew that's not what Jesus meant, but what did he mean? Well, thankfully, I've come to understand better what Jesus meant, that he was talking about being born in a totally different way. When Jesus said, you must be born from above, he went on to speak about being born of water and the Spirit. Jesus said, what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that made sense. I could understand that. I'm a sinful human being because I was born to sinful human parents. We pass sin down from generation to generation. That didn't really come as a surprise to me. I, I tried to keep it hidden and try to talk to people about my sinfulness, but of course I knew I was a sinner. I had a conscience that testified against me, that warned me about the things that I did wrong. And it started right at the beginning. I should have known that. I should have known that I was a sinner from birth. And, and that's an, a, a serious thing. We don't want to gloss over that. That means that we were born as enemies of God. It means that we couldn't do loving things. We couldn't serve other people. We couldn't, we couldn't do anything good at all. We certainly couldn't serve or love God. We couldn't even believe in Him. And if we stayed on that path as enemies of God, that would mean that we were doomed to destruction, doomed to hell, doomed to eternal death. I don't like to think about that. I suspect you don't like to think about that either. But the truth is, that's how we entered into this world. And I know that I deserve to be punished. And so what Jesus was saying about being born again or being born from above, that was absolutely necessary because without it, punishment is all that I would get. So yes, Jesus talked about the working of the Holy Spirit. He talked about being born of water and the Spirit. And it was obvious to me right away 
that Jesus was talking about baptism. I was familiar with John the Baptist and the work that he had done. I was familiar with Jesus and his disciples baptizing. I understand that some people today have claimed that Jesus' words here actually talk about two different baptisms, one water baptism and one spirit baptism. They say the water baptism is, you've seen them before here at the font in front of the church where you, you put water on maybe a child's head, but maybe an adult as well. But that would be less important if there's another different sort of baptism. The spirit baptism, the real thing, the important thing, but that's not what Jesus was teaching. Jesus, it's clear from the Greek as well, was teaching about one event, one activity, one baptism that involved the spirit and water. He was talking about this gift of baptism where people are converted to faith, where people come to believe. See, this is a gift of God. Just like you, when I was born, I didn't have a choice in the matter. I didn't have anything to do at the time. And just like you, when I was born again, I didn't have a choice in the matter. I didn't have anything to do at the time. I'm not even sure that I could pinpoint the time when I stopped questioning and I started believing. It didn't mean making a decision for Christ. It didn't require praying a particular prayer. No, at some point I realized that the Spirit had worked in me, faith, confidence in Jesus, not just as a miracle worker, not just as an impressive teacher, but as the Savior, as my Savior. Jesus compared the working of the Holy Spirit to the blowing of the wind. We don't see the wind, but we hear it and we notice the things that it accomplishes. In the same way, we don't see the Holy Spirit, but we recognize the things that He accomplishes in our hearts and in our lives. And what He accomplishes is this. He connects us to Jesus. At the time that I was discussing this with Jesus, I still did not understand this. I, I asked how can these things be? And Jesus' answer was kind of like, well, you should know. He reminded me that I was an expert. I knew very well what you call the Old Testament. I would just call it the Scripture. I should have known that I was missing the, the main message in all of this. And the main message wasn't just work harder, do better. It was about a Savior. If I couldn't handle the amazing news about the Holy Spirit working in my life, this earthly sort of news, how could I possibly understand even greater things, heavenly things, like God's entire plan of salvation? Well, thankfully, Jesus laid that out for me, too. Jesus told me his, his references. He gave me his credentials, if you will. Reminded me that he had descended from heaven. 
And so he knew the mind of God. He had the mind of God and was able to share it with us, whereas no human being has ever ascended into heaven to figure it out or to find it out. And about the mind of God and the plan of salvation, the most incredible thing was that Jesus explained that he was carrying it out. He said that the Son of Man was going to be lifted up like the snake was lifted up in the wilderness. And I knew that story. I remember that account from Israel wandering in the wilderness, how they grumbled and complained again as they had so often done. And this time there was an immediate consequence. Out came venomous snakes that were biting the people and killing some of them. They cried out to God, and God had Moses put a bronze snake on a pole. Now, there was nothing scientific about a bronze snake on the pole. Moses had not just learned the antidote to snake bites. But what God had done was put on display his promise and an outward sign of his power and his strength and what he was going to do for the people. And he moved those people to trust that promise, and they looked at that snake, and they were healed. Jesus compares himself to that snake, in part by the fact that he was going to be lifted up. He's talking about the death that he was going to die on the cross. But he's also talking about how the fact that that didn't make sense, that that looked gruesome and ugly to people who did not know the promise of God, that didn't matter. Because God moved his people to look to Jesus in faith and to know the life that they had. Now, Jesus wasn't just talking about earthly life. He wasn't saying that he would help us out from some pain or torture or agony in this world. No, he was talking about eternal life. Jesus came to accomplish the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, salvation. He came to rescue us. He came to free us from our sins. And all of this is a gift from God. This is the context in which Jesus shared what is probably the most famous passage in all of the Bible, maybe the most popular passage in all of the Bible, and it's with good reason because it so, so well summarizes God's love, and, God's love and His gift to the world. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. What we could not do because of our sinfulness, God did for us. We could not earn or deserve it. We had not earned or deserved it, but God loved us. Pharisees, Pharisees like me, like Nicodemus, like to believe that, that we can earn it that we can do enough good things that we deserve God's love and His favor. And you might not want to hear this either, but there's probably some of the attitude of the Pharisee in you too. We like to get what we deserve. 
We like to feel like we've accomplished something. We like to, to earn what we have. But none of us have earned what God has given to us. The need, our sinfulness was universal. Everyone in the world is born a sinner. And God's love is just as universal. Jesus said, God so loved the world. God loved and God still loves a world of sinners so much that this is what he did and this is what he's done for them. He sent his only begotten son. He sent his greatest treasure. He sent his costliest gift. And that gift is received by whoever believes in Jesus. Whoever God brings to faith in Him. It brings eternal life to you who believe. What do people learn from my nighttime visit to Jesus? They certainly don't learn, well, work harder, try harder, be better. And you might think that they learn, well, be a little bit better than Nicodemus. Don't just sneak around and visit Jesus at night. Go to him boldly and confidently. And I suppose there's some truth to that, but that's not the lesson either. The lesson is God loved and loves a world of sinners this much. That he gave them a gift. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What an amazing gift. The whole world needed it because of their sin. And God loved the whole world not because they had earned or deserved it, but just because that's who God is and that's what God chose to do. And so I know that Jesus is God's heavenly gift to me. And I'm amazed to know that Jesus is God's heavenly gift to the world. But dear friends in Him, that means that Jesus is God's heavenly gift to you. Amen.